Okay, I hope everybody had a good fast. Um, tonight is the last, uh, the last cheer on Ayanhara. Uh, I think, like I mentioned, either we can sort of go back to doing the Parsha or maybe do a different topic. Um, I was thinking, like I said, about doing some book introductions. We can talk about that or think about that next week. But I wanted to focus on this week was in relation to the, the Parsha of the week. The Parsha of the week this week is, of course, Parsha's Pinchas. And in Parsha's Pinchas, we have a census. And that's the reason I wanted to sort of conclude this week with something a little bit on the Parsha. Uh, but before, in order to sort of get the introduction, it's helpful to read a Kitzel Shulchan Aruch. The Kitzel Shulchan Aruch of Shlomo Gansfried, who made a bit of a pocket uh, Shulchan Aruch for people to be able to study uh, because the Shulchan Aruch was itself too long. You know, it's kind of ironic, right? The Shulchan Aruch, the Shulchan Aruch itself is a, was meant to be a sort of um, uh, index uh, for the Beis Yosef, right? The, the, the magnum opus of Rabbi Yosef Karo. Uh, but of course it became the linchpin for a tremendous amount of books. Um, the Rambam famously, maybe we'll get to it if we discuss introductions, the Rambam famously in his introduction to the Mishnah Torah says that after you finish with my book, you're not going to have a need for any other books in the future, just the Tanakh and Mishnah Torah, and you have everything you need. And of course, it became the basis of some of the most numerous commentaries and super commentaries um, for all time in Jewish tradition, in the Jewish tradition. So, in the case of the Kitzel Shulchan Aruch, um, there is a commentary on him. It happens to be the commentary was uh, from a rabbi who I prayed in his shul, uh, the Shem Mitzvah Mahalacha, and he wrote a commentary on it that is sort of like a Mishnah Brewer on the on the Kitzel Shulchan Aruch. It's a fantastic commentary. I won't be using him tonight. But with that sort of background, the Kitzel Shulchan Aruch in the beginning, in, in the 15th chapter, he says the following. He's talking here about a minion and putting together a minion. He says, When you're putting together a minion, when you're counting, do you have 10 for the minion? You know, these days, we dive, or at least I'm davening outside. We don't always have... A minion right away, you have to count. So it's become a, a practical question every single day. You have to count to make sure you have a minion. So he says you are not allowed. You have to be very careful not to count the people to lay the Yeshish minion to know whether or not you in fact have a minion or not. He says you're not allowed to do that. You are um, required to, in fact, do it differently. You're not allowed to count the Jewish people um, one after another, seriatim. Afilu mitzvah. Even for the purposes of a mitzvah, you're not allowed to count the Jewish people. Shol counted the people, batilaim, which Chazal understood to mean sheep. Everybody gave a sheep. Um, as opposed to counting people, they counted the sheep. Literally, that's the first time in in literature that I think we find counting sheep. He says the reason the that we use a pasuk. Maybe you heard the song right? In order to be able to count the minion, why? Because of the fact that that pasuk has ten. Of course, if you're doing it in the song version, it doesn't really work, right? Because you're going uraim uraim uraim. That that wouldn't work. You would have to do it without. You would have to do it tuneless or atonal in order to ensure that you stayed with the 10. But you're not supposed to count the people, 1, 2, 3. Rather, you say, and that's how you get to 10. And he is doing something that you will see today. If And you go to a place where they're trying to count a minion. Certainly, if they're somewhat aware, they won't say 1, 2, 3. They'll say, So why? Because it's us to count the people. Where did this Isser come from? We all know about Parshas Kisisa, in the beginning of Parshas Kisisa, the command Hashem gives to Moshe 
is to count the Jewish people. And the, com- the command over there is Kisisos, Rosh B'nei Yisrael of Kudehem, Benasnu Ish, Kefer Nafshay. Every person has to give a Machtz Hashagel for themselves. And we reiterate that later on in Parshas Bekudeh. We say, That's how much everyone had to give, and that's how they were counted. The Pasuk in Parshas Kisisa says that you count this way, so that you won't have a plague, a tragedy, um, death among the Jewish people. It seems, says Rashi, that the reason that you have to count the people not directly, but rather via the Machtas HaShekel, is because of Ayin Hara, says Rashi. Shehaminyan Shailit Boy Ayin Hara. When you count, you have the evil eye. The Hadever Baalem. And then you're going to have, you're going to cause a plague to come upon them. will be made David, like we find in the times of David. So, take a step back. We have just seen the Kirtz Shachanar who says that it is forbidden to count the Jews directly. You must use some other tool. You can use a Pasuk and say Hashia, and then you know how many you have. You can use sheep. You can use a Machza Shekel. What's the reason? The Pasuk in Pashas Kisisa said that you'd use a half a Shekel in order to avoid the plague. Why would there be a plague? Says Rashi, there will be a plague because of the fact that the Jewish people, if they were counted, would be subject to Ayin Hara. The evil eye would then cause a plague, which would cause people to die, as it happened by King David. Now, what I'm going to suggest to you tonight is that that is not the full story, even though certainly some Mepharshim go with the way of Rashi to suggest that the reason that it is problematic to count the Jewish people directly is because of the evil eye. For example, Rashi student, the Bechor Shar, echoes the same exact point. And even those who are not Rashi student, like, for example, the Ral Bag, Yosanides, also discusses the evil eye here. You will recall back, way back, uh, I think in week number two, when we talked about the various different opinions on how the evil eye actually harms. One of the opinions we brought down, Shalshelas, uh, an opinion that comes way down from Aristotle, through Aquinas, and is definitely within the Jewish tradition as well, is found in the Ramban and in the Ralbag and others, is that, and the Rabbeinu Yonah, is that the evil eye actually has power. There's some some sort of a, a vapor emitted from the eye that then goes and harms someone. The, the Ralbag and the Ramban and others who talk about the menstruating woman whose eye, when she looks at a mirror or glass, causes blood or red-like substance to form. The Ralbag is over here in Parshas Kisisa. So, in short, what we are seeing is a situation where you have a prohibition on counting the Jewish people. That prohibition on counting the Jewish people is in seemingly, certainly according to Rashi, is because of Ayin Hara. But again, all we see from the Pasuk, if we forgot about Rashi, is that when you count the Jewish people, you are going to use, at least in Parshiki Sisa, you're going to use a machza shekel, and thereby avoid the negev, thereby avoid the plague. Rashi interpolates that the reason that there will be a plague is because if you count the Jewish people directly, there would be a ayin harat, which would thereby cause the plague. That is how I would like to set this up and frame the uh, 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 the topic. However. As I said, I don't believe that it is so simple or, frankly, so clear. If you look in Tanakh, you will find that there's many countings of the Jewish people. In Parshas Bamidbar, right at the beginning, the Torah says that Hashem commands Moshe that you have to count me ben esrim shanav amala kol Israel Right at the beginning of Bamidbar. Hashem commands Moshe to count the Jewish people. And Rashi says, Ligul Gilei. So I'm mean, supposed to count the Jewish people to their numbers. How is that? Rashi says, Al Yidei Shekalim. Because you're using the shekels. You're using these half shekels that we've previously discussed. 
Becca Lago Garlas, what we already talked about in Parshas Kisisa and again in Parshas Bekudai. But notice, that's Rashi's interpolation, that's Rashi's interpretation. The Pusik never actually said that. And I think you will agree with me that the simple reading of the countings in Tanakh do not necessarily, as a matter of shot, ever involve counting using any sort of a means. They're simply counting. Now, I'm going to go through a few examples to give you um, a sense of what I mean. For example, in, pa- in Parsh Bamid, what we just discussed, Hashem commanded Moshe that he's supposed to count the Jewish people. From the age of 20, and that does not talk about anything to use any sort of an implement. But that's not the only count in Parshas Bamidbar. There's a reason why in English we call the Sefer Bamidbar uh, numbers and why the alt- alternate name for Sefer Bamidbar right, is Chumash HaPekudim. There's a lot of counting. It would make the uh, count, um, I forget what he's called from Sesame Street, I think he's called a count or something. Very pleased. There's a lot of counting going on. right? Because later on in, uh, in the Parsha, Right, we have additional counts. What are some of the additional counts that we have in Bamidbar? We have the following. Later on in Paragimel, the Pasuk says that Hashem tells Moshe, Pekod has been a Levi, count all the Levites. Right? Count all the Levites from one month and up. Again, no indication of using any sort of an implement when you're counting them. Or, for example, a little bit later on, Hashem says, count all the Bechars. Again, no indication of using any sort of an implement in the counting. Or, for example, later on, when um, Bilam, as it were, according to Chazal, gives an Eitzah, gives advice, in order to harm the Jewish people by having them worship idols and engaging in licentious acts with the daughters of Midian. So there's a Magefa. 24,000 people pass away. And Pinchas manages to stop the Magefa. He gets rid of Kuzbi and, and Zimri. The Torah says that following by Yahweh Magefa, after the, after the plague is subsides, Hashem says to Moshe, and now Elazar has taken over for Aaron. He says the following: Count again the similar kind of count that we had in the beginning of Bamidbar. Everybody who's twenty and up, count them. Count them all. Is there any mention of an implement? None at all. And Kahena vechahena. There are many more examples. Of this, for example, later on, um, uh, I think we actually skipped in uh, Parshas Nasai, which is uh, a few weeks ago's Parsha. I don't know. If, uh, I don't know if we mentioned this before, but at the beginning of the Parsha, right? Parshas Naso, Naso Esrosh, right? Bnei Gershon Gamheim. You have to count them from Ben Shloshim Shanavad Ben Chamishim Shan. You have to count the Leviim. Another example of a count, or later on in Parshas. Um, Matos, right after Hashem tells Moshe Nikoim, right, take revenge against the Midianites for what they have done. The Pasuk says, All the generals, all the uh, commanders, they come to Moshe and they say, We counted all the people and we didn't find um, that anybody was missing, that anybody passed away. Did they use an implement when they were counting their army? Um, or later on, right? That's sort of the general, the, the times in Chumash, but later on we have many more examples in Tanakh. So, for example, Yeshua counts the people by the war of Ai. Right when they were going to f- uh, fight with Ai after the first battle when they had lost, now they're going to win. Um, he counts the people. No mention of any implements. Or later on, the Shoal counts the people in Bozek. The Pasuk tells us, or again, he counted them in a place called Talam, he counted them. Um, 
no no indications that he used any sort of implements. Again, Chazal say Chazal suggests the Gemara Yuma says that maybe Buzek is um, a reference to um, uh, shards, like uh, shards of pottery. But the Pusik, the simple understanding of the Pusik, Vayifkidim Bab Buzek, he counted them in Buzek. Vayifkidim Bab Talami counted them in Talami, whatever that place is. I, I don't know where either of the places are, but um, but uh, doesn't seem like there was using any implements, as certainly not as a matter of shot. Um, or, for example, after um, Shoal didn't listen to uh, Shmuel's admonition that he wait until Shmuel comes, and he, in fact, offers up the sacrifices before Shmuel gets there, and Shmuel gives him, you know, everyone thinks of that, uh, that when Shmuel gives it to him by Amalek, that that's when he loses the kingdom. The first time Shmuel tells him you're going to lose the kingdom is actually over here when he doesn't wait until Shmuel comes and he offers up sacrifices because the people were um, on top of him. And this is where you see he's a weak-willed king. So over there, the Pazik says that after that story is finished, Vayakum, he has to still fight. He still has to fight the Philistines. So the Pazik says, Vayakum Shmuel, Vayamana Gilgal, give us Benyamin, Vayifka Shalasa, She counts the people. So these are, um, as, you know, some examples in Tanakh of countings without mentioning any implements. All right, and David Amalek, yes, there is true. There is one time, which we will get to, um, where he counts the people and it's a, a bad result. But the, the first time that David counts the people, in Parakir Ches and Shmuel Beis, Vayivko David Asa he counts the people for his army, and he appoints upon them commanders. No mention of any implements. And again, like I said, there are other examples throughout Malachim, and there's a few more examples. Um, uh, Amatsi counts the people. Akav, again, not sure if it's a good rye or not, but of course, uh, if you trust the food in his kitchen, as Chazal would say, um, um, you know, that he that he had an issue with Avadizar, but not necessarily some other things. Maybe he did or didn't keep. Um, uh, but uh, it seems, Yehoram counted the people. But what is clear is that there are many counts throughout Tanakh, and in none of them does it mention an implement. So if you're Rashi, and you say that you have to count the Jewish people in order for whatever purpose, and in order to avoid having a plague, because that's what it said in Parashat Gisisa, that you have to avoid the plague, and the only way you can avoid a plague is by getting rid of the reason or the siba for the plague. And what's the siba for the plague? Ayin hara. So the only way you can get rid of the ayin hara is if you use an implement. So according to Rashi, as you see from the first count in Mabinmar, where Rashi says that they're using an implement, even though the puzzle didn't say, the puzzle said Gilgailas. Rashi says that it must mean that they used the Maksa Shekel. So maybe Rashi would say, and he doesn't. He just certainly doesn't suggest it in each case. But maybe you would have to say for Rashi that Rashi took it as an understa- uh, like a, an absolute. Of course, in all of the cases in Tanakh where you had countings, those countings are using an implement. The Torah doesn't have to say it every time. right? It's like the Gemara, um, you know, you remember the Gemara beginning Psachim, right? The Gemara says that you see, you learn, you learn from the Torah how to speak cleanly, right? Because it's said by uh, by Nayach, but it calls the animals a sharinanatahira, right? Instead of saying tame. So well, what about the rest of, of of Tanakh where it says tame repeatedly, even in the own even in the story there in Nayach it uses that word tame. So no, we one time we teach the lesson. After that you don't have to constantly use eight extra words all the time. You use it one time, you teach everybody that you're supposed to talk cleanly, and that's it. But the assumption would be here that Rashi would say, look, we said one time that you have to use an implement, otherwise you could potentially be subject to ayin hara, which would cause plagues. But I don't have to tell you that every single time the Jewish people got counted, that that's what happened. So according to Rashi, in Bamidbar, the Torah doesn't openly say any use of any implement at all. It sounds like they're just directly counting the people. But according to Rashi, no. 
there was an implement being used. So Rashi doesn't have to repeat himself either all the time. He said it one time by Midbar. What would be the exception to the rule? The exception to the rule would be by David. David didn't use any implement, and therefore we see there was a plague. That would be the position of Rashi. And then he would use the opinion of Chazal, like I mentioned already before, the Gemara in Yuma says, a suggestion that maybe Bezek is a, is a, a, a shard, pottery shards, and Tulayim is a sheep. So according to Rashi, those places are fantastic. They used implements. No issues for Rashi then. And the other places in Tanakh don't mention any implements, and you can't argue at all that it has that uh, there were implements being used as a, within the Pesukim at all. According to Rashi, you just have to say that obviously that was being utilized, even though the Torah is not making that clear whatsoever. That is perhaps one opinion to explain the plethora of situations of counting in Tanakh that do not mention implements at all. That's one approach to explain Rashi and one approach to explain those that hold of Ayin Hara in such a, in such a significant way. I'd like to th- share with you a second approach. The second approach is the approach of the Kliyakar. And it's an interesting approach and it ties into some of the things that we've talked about. And it's good as, in a way as a Sikum for the Ayin Hara topic to go through this Kliyakar. The Kliyakar appears in two places. Once he says it in Kisis and then one time he says it in the beginning by Midbar. So... The Kliyakar on his face seems like he's arguing with Rashi. He says, Bamidbar, what are you talking about, Rashi? Did they use the implement? They didn't use any implement at all. The Torah just said, Golgaila, the Torah doesn't say anything about implements. Why is Rashi suggesting that you have to use an implement? Because Rashi, his understanding of Ayan Hara is different than the Kliyakar's. According to the Kliyakar, when we've had this, We've had this repeatedly in a variety of different ways. But one of the earliest sources for it is in, in the Gemara. The Gemara said that if somebody came up with an inheritance, right, that he got from a guy, or he got married to a very wealthy woman and all of a sudden has all this nixtam look that he can use that would make him very wealthy, but he wasn't. Or somebody came upon a fortune that wasn't, that, you know, sort of like a lottery. They didn't have to work really hard to get. In all of those cases, the Gemara suggested that a person should do a mitzvah with, with some of the money. Why? Because otherwise they'll be subject to ayin hara. And if you recall, the Mepharshim there explained, Rashi specifically said that on, on something shocking, on something that's going to be utterly preposterous to passers-by, they're going to be very upset by this. So therefore, do a mitzvah with the money, and you'll be protected from the ayin hara that would, you would otherwise be subject to because of the dismay of the passers-by. We said this also in, in relation to the approaches of those of the more uh, modern approach to Ayin Hara, that don't necessarily view the eye as having any sort of power to harm another person, but rather the eye, the evil eye that is caused by jealousy the jealousy is caused when people are, unex- are are not expecting something. And so they're looking harshly at it. They're looking askance at it. It's the same idea. The people who are causing evil eye on themselves are people who are not acting within this normal, typical social graces or accepted practices of those around them. And therefore, they're being subject to the evil eye. They're doing something that's out of the ordinary. That is the basis of the Kliyakar. So the Kliyakar's idea is the following. He says, you know, Rashi is 100% right that the reason that the Torah is saying that Hashem told Moshe to count the Jewish people using an implement, using the Machsa Shekel, is to avoid Ayin Hara, to avoid the evil eye. But you know, you only have to avoid the evil eye when the evil eye is likely to come about. And when is the evil eye likely to come about? Only when there is something shocking. Only when there is something preposterous. So he says, think about the situations of the Jewish people. At the beginning, when the Jewish people have left Egypt, in Parshish Kisisa, the Jewish people have not been out of, um, uh, have not gone to the land of Israel yet. They haven't 
vanquished all their enemies. They're relatively newbies out of the land. And they were considered to be a relatively small people who miraculously somehow got out. And so such a people, if all of a sudden now they have 600,000 men of a certain, you know, ages of 20 to 60, if they have all of a sudden such a powerful nation, that could arouse the evil eye. But once they were counted once, once they were counted for the future, it won't arouse the evil eye because everyone expects that the Jews are a large and powerful people. And therefore, since the Jews are a large and powerful people later on, say in Bamidbar, right, where now the counting is later, or the counting later on um, of the various different uh, kings, etc. in Tanakh, at that point in time, everything is to be expected. There's no shock as to the amount and the power of the Jewish people, and it won't elicit the evil eye. So therefore, according to the Kliyakar, Rashi's 100% right that the reason that you have to use an implement when you are counting Jewish people is because you want to avoid the evil eye. Because if you don't, and the evil eye comes about, you can be subject to the plague. But in the future counts, over there you don't have to use an implement. Over there the counting is not unexpected what the results are going to be. And as such, you, unlike Rashi says in the beginning about Midbar, you do not have to... Um, you do not have to suggest and interpret into the psukim the notion that they used an implement. That is the approach of the Kliyakar. Now, as a matter of shot, I find it very difficult to um, to accept that the Kliyakar is shot at all. Why? Because who's the Ayin Hara in the Midbar? In terms of the shock of the Jewish people being a weakling nation of 70 that came up from Mitzrayim, first of all, that's many, many moons ago. In fact, the Jews have been in Egypt for either 210 or 400 or whatever the number is, 430 years, where they multiplied so numerously that the Egyptians were scared of them. They were subjugated, it is true, as slaves, but had massive plagues done for them, including a splitting of the sea, including a receipt from the divine of the Torah, a beating of Amalek, to argue that the Jewish people before the counting in Parashat Kisisa was considered to be a nation of 70 people and all of a sudden it will be a huge shock to have 600,000 seems to be quite a stretch. Moreover, who would be aware of the counting? Who's going to be the one giving the evil eye? The nations surrounding them? Are they aware of the counting? In what sense is it going to create Ayin Hara? You recall, of course, we talked about the Marsha. I love this Marsha. The Marsha says that Yaakov sends his children down to Egypt even though they were not hungry. Why? According to the Gemara and Tainus, the Jews had enough food. So why did he send the brothers down to Egypt? According to the Gemara, so that they shouldn't have the evil eye from the Bnei Ishmael and the Bnei Esav. The Marsha says, why? Why the Bnei Ishmael and Bnei who don't even live in the land of Canaan? They live outside the land of Canaan. Avram sent them away. Esav left of his own volition and the parts of Yishlach. So why... Why are we mentioning the Bnei Esav and the Bnei Shmuel? The Marsha said because they would have extra, an extra dollop of evil eye, an extra helping of the evil eye. Why? Because they're family. And by the family, there's more people looking in. So who's looking in at the Jewish people at this time? They're traveling in the desert. Not too many people travel in the desert. Amalekites travel in the desert. They got decimated. They got beaten. So who's looking in on this camp? Where's the evil eye coming from? It seems to me that it's not necessarily um, something so obvious to understand. The mechanics of the evil eye, as classically understood, is A is looking at, at B. 
And it's certainly possible it could be non-Jews looking in for sure. But not because of the count that Moshe is doing. It's not like they were taking a poll uh, or, or a census and they sent out you know, letters to all the surrounding nations about it. So I would like to suggest what I think is most likely, uh, to me, the Pshat approach, um, which Chazal already frankly suggested. And this is predicated in part as to the order of Parshas Kisisa. And this Pshat works best according to those who understand that the count of the Jewish people is taking place after the Chet HaEgal. If you look at the Gemara and Shkalem, the Gemara and Shkalem gives three or four different reasons as to why you use a half a shekel. What, what's this half a shekel? shekel, shekel. What, what is this half a shekel? So the Gemara says the following. The Gemara says, one opinion is they sinned in half the day. So therefore you give a half a shekel. One says they, they sinned six hours into the day. Therefore, therefore you give shisa garmisen. Six garmisen, which is the same equivalent as the machzah shekel. Says the following: They they were over on the decalogue. They were over on the ten dibros. Therefore, everyone gives asar gera. Rabbechia says that they that they what he called they shemachu um, They sold Yosef down for twenty pieces silver pieces. So therefore, Igmar goes through. Um, a couple more of these examples, but the Machzasheka or the Shisha Grisin seems to be in part due to the ego. When you look at Parshas Kisis and you look at the count, you will see that the Torah seems to be talking about forgiveness. You're supposed to be getting forgiven for something. What is the something that they are being forgiven for? The Gemara is suggesting. And many of the Mepharshim say that what they're getting forgiven for is for the service of the ego. And that's the reason, of course, that they are required to give some sort of a penance. I would not at all equate it to a confession where you go to the priest and give him you know, a dollar or whatever it is. But you have to give some sort of a, a, a payment. You have to give some sort of a, a payment for your soul. And that's simply why in Pajuski Sisa, after the ego, they have to give a Machsa Shekel for themselves. I agree. It's not 100% clear from the Pusik that the Torah actually ties it out to the ego. But what else had they done wrong? It's not clear to me what else that they had done wrong that they needed a Kaifer Nafshim for. But that would mean that all the rest of the counts in the future in Tanakh, they do not have to use an implement. They don't have to use an implement for the simple reason that there is nothing wrong. There's no penance. They're just simply counting for whatever the purposes are that they're counting. They're counting for knowing how many Jews there are in the beginning of Bar. They're counting to know... How many Levim, how many Bechorim, how many Levim can work in the in the service of the Mishkan. They're counting after the Magefa, figure out who had passed away. But in no events are these counts there as a penance, and therefore they're not needed to give any penance. They don't have to use any implements because there's no penance to be given. And that would explain why there's no count in the rest of Tanakh that has the usage of any implement. So now you'll say, okay, great. But what about the count by David HaMelech? What about the count by David HaMelech? And that's a fair question, and that's a tough question. Because at the end of the day, the count by David HaMelech seems to be pretty much on its face. That the Torah says 
the Davenim Melech counts the people and gets punished for the count. So I have two responses. The first response is that to say that it's a negef, as Rashi does in the beginning of Parshas Kisisa and the Bechar Shar, that the, that you're going to get a dever as a result of the Ayin Hara, right? Just to to um, remind you, Rashi says that when the pasuk says you have to do Machta Shagel, Zayidnu Kol Oiver Al Pekud Machta Shagel, why? Because so you should avoid the plague. And Rashi says you're going to get a plague because of Ayin Hara. Whenever you count, it's shuttled to the Ayin Hara. The Ayin Hara has power. The evil eye has power. As it's as it happened in the days of David. But one second. In the days of David, that was not what happened. If we look at the Psukim carefully, the Psukim are very clear that after David did the count. He had a choice. He was given, you know, sort of the devil's option. He had three things he was allowed to choose from as his punishment. One was the devil. One was a plague. One was that he would have to be uh, running from his enemies for three months. And one was a famine for seven years. So he chose the plague. Why? Uh, we say every day before before Tachron, right? Because he wanted a full biyad... A Hashem, right? But beyond Adam, Allah Poyle, he didn't want to fall in the hands of a man, because man, you never know, they're lacking in mercy. So he has the devil would come about, and he davens, and it goes away shorter than it planned, and fine. That devil didn't have to happen. It could have been that devil would have been punished running away from his enemies. And then what would Rashi said? How can it be that the proof is that if you have an evil eye, you have a negev because of David? David's not a proof at all. David had a negev because he chose to have a negev. Had he chosen something else, he wouldn't have had the negev. So that's one question, but that's a question really on Rashi. Forget Rashi for a second. Let's just think about the count. Is the count that David engages in a proof that counting is by definition, census taking is by definition a terrible thing. And I should tell you that what I'm saying is definitely a one-sided version. We don't have time to you know, engage fully on all the different sides of this question. And when Israel first engaged in the census, there was a massive uh, outcry from many people who said, no, 100% you're not allowed to take a census. You're going to cause a plague. It's a terrible thing. You're not allowed to count Jews. So again, as I said, there's a lot of literature on it and we're not going through most of it. In fact, the Gemara over here by David, the Gemara in Brachas, right, says that David violated the most simple thing that even a, a school child would know, right? That you're not allowed to count the Jewish people. And Yahya was very upset at him. Why are you counting the Jewish people? But is the reason why he's count, not counting the Jewish people, I'm sorry, is the reason why he's counting the Jewish people bad because it's said in Pyrrhuski Sisa that you're not allowed to count the Jewish people because you're going to have a plague? Doesn't seem like that to me, per se. Why? Because simply, if you look at the Pasuk, the Pasuk says, and there's a weird context here, and also in Divrei Ayam, you can look at it as well, where it also it further amplifies. But David has done something. We don't know what. The Radak says over there, what's going on here? We don't really know what David has done. But he's done something to irritate God, as it were. And Zvayosef says, Af Hashem Lacharis B'Yisrael, Yasef says David, right? God is sticking himself onto David. He's going to make him do something bad. But what did he do? Lamar, Lech, Menes, Yisrov, to go count the Jewish people. So again, the context is Hashem wants him to do something bad. Again, whether David has his free volition or not is a separate question and not for right now. But God is sticking David on to do something that's bad. And what's that bad thing that he's doing? The bad thing that he's doing is going to count the Jewish people. And listen to the Pasuk. 
Shut no mechoshif to Israel midan vad Beersheva. Go right and count the Jewish people from the south to the north. Ufiktu es ha'am v'yadati es misbar ha'am. Go count the people. And Yayav says to him, Kohen v'chayim e'a pa'am v'enei adonia melech royais. Adonia melech lama chafez b'davar zeh. Why do you want to do this? No, David's very strong about it. And he's very strong to the generals. And he says, Go count the people. Go count the Jews. And so, in fact, they do do it. They go across the whole land. They do a whole census. And Yehav gives the count of the Jewish people to King David. Then the Pasik concludes, His heart, right, is beaten down. He feels terrible because he's counted the people. What I did was a terrible thing. Please forgive me. On its face, it seems that David has done something wrong by counting the Jewish people. But again, as I mentioned before, it's not clear at all that what he's done wrong in terms of counting the Jewish people has anything to do with Ayin Hara. So I'd like to suggest, perhaps, is that the reason that what he's done something wrong is that, as the Gemara Numa says, we'll get to that. Um, Let's let's uh, touch on this Gemara Numa. The Gemara Numa is, is, is an unbelievable Gemara. The Gemara says it's talking there about the Kaihanim, right? In the olden days, in the olden days when um, when they would try to figure out who's gonna um, do the service in the temple, they would basically have a race, and whoever won the race, they would get to do the service. But it didn't work out well. There was a time, uh, different stories where there was like a tie and one guy stabbed the other guy and so this didn't work anymore. So they decided to do some measure of a lottery. And how would they do it? They would put out a finger and they would count sort of like, you know, any mini mini mo. So the Gemara says, why did they do that? Why did they why did they do it that way? The Gemara says the reason that they did it that way was because Rabbi Yitzchak says, Asr Var Mitzvah. Remember the the Kitz Shokanarch we started out with said they now let to count the Jewish people even for a mitzvah. This is where he got it from. And the Gemara says, how do we know? Because David, because Shaul counted the people by Bozek. Bozek is understanding the Gemara as being the shards of pottery, not literally that he counted the people in a place called Bozek. So the Gemara says, that's not a proof because maybe Bezek is actually a place. So the Gemara says, you know what? We have another proof by, by Tuloim, that when Shaul counted the people by Tuloim, that's not a place, that's got to be sheep. The Gemara lets that one go. Then the Gemara continues and says the following: Amr Abelazar, Kol Amayne Es Yisrael Over Belav. Whoever counts the Jewish people is over a lav. Shneemar, V'hayam Espar Bnei Yisrael Gechayil Ayayim Ashalayim Avlei Safer. The pasuk says, "Whoever uh, that the Jewish people will be like the sand of the sea, that it can't be counted." Rabbi Nachman then says, "No, no, you're not over on one lav. Over B'Shnei Lavin. You're over on two lavin. Shneemar Loyimad Avlei Safer." You can't count it, and you can't count it twice. The Torah reiterates that. So if somebody counts the Jewish people, he's over on two lavin. I think, simply, that that's in fact what's going on here. Not as a lav is in the Torah. You're not going to find anywhere in the Torah any mitzvah that says you're not allowed to count the Jewish people. In fact, one of the big uh, points on the Gemara, the Numa that I just quoted, the Mepharshim say, how come the Gemara didn't say that you're over a lav because of Parashat Kisisa? Why did it mention Parashat Kisisa? Like the Gemara says in Brachas that every fool, every little stupid kid knows that you're not allowed to count the Jewish people. Why didn't it mention it over here in the Gemara Numa? Why is the Gemara going to Pasuk in Yeshua and talking about the Jews being as numerous as the sands of the sea? And that's a lav, obviously, there's no uh, uh, um, in Hosea. The, the Pasuk in Hosea is the proof. That's the lav. Why don't you use Pajas Kisisa? Simply because Pajas Kisisa is not a lav at all. Pajas Kisisa is not talking about anything to do with that. Pajas Kisisa is saying you have to count the Jewish people using an implement because of the fact that there was a Chet HaEgal, that they had to be, this count was in order to be able to attain forgiveness for themselves. But, 
all other counts certainly are not required to do that. But every count that's otherwise being done is purposeful. Every count that's otherwise found in Tanakh, there's a reason for the count. You have to know how many Jewish people there are. You have to know how many Levim there are. You have to know how many Bechorim there were. You have to know how many people you have in your army. You have to know who to, how many generals you need, how many commanders you need. There's a reason why they're counting. When you look at David's counting in Shmuel, David's counting has absolutely no point. The the Puzzle is saying, So I will know how many people there are. But there's nothing here in the count. He, after Yoyev is, is, is pushing on him, No, why were you doing this? Why are you forcing this? David says, No, I want it. I want the count. So they go across the whole land of Israel in order to be able to count the people. And they come up with a number. For what? It's not for an army. David's kingdom is secure at this point. He's not making um, he's not making promotions of generals. So for that, there's an element there of knowing the count of the Jewish people. There's an element there that is wrong. There's an element there that's deserving of punishment. Why do you need to know to feel how good you are as a king? That you have such a powerful nation that you are the commander of, that you are the king of. That may be a haughty, but also remember that the Jewish people are promised by Hashem to Avram that they're going to be like the sand of the sea, like the sand um, uh, of the earth, like the dust of the earth. They're going to be like the stars in the heavens. They're going to be infinite. But it's never l- literally. It's never to be understood literally, right? Because we already know in the, later on, right, in uh, Parshas Ekev, right, at the end where the Torah says, You're the smallest of all nations. The Jewish people were never the most numerous in any sense. We were never the Chinese or the Indians or the like. We're always the tiniest. But what we are great is in terms of our influence, in terms of our ability to impact and affect the world. We are the Amanivcha, we are the Amakadosh, we are the Bechorim of the world, but we're not the most numerous. The way we impl- influence and implement and, and impact the world is through our spiritual guidance. It's not through our force, it's not through our power. So, what the Gemara is saying in Yuma is that your Ivar and Alav are too lavin for counting the Jewish people because the Padre says, what that putzik, what that Gemara is getting to is that the Jewish people are meant to be numerous, not numerous in terms of actually how many there are, but numerous in the sense of their influence, numerous in the sense of the abundance of ideas that they propagate, numerous in the sense of the spiritual influence that they wield around the world. All of that is impossible to count, to estimate. But when you try to count it, and when you when you put the the, a box on it, as it were. When you box in the Jewish people into an amount, into a specified amount, for no purpose, but simply to satisfy your own curiosity or to make yourself feel good that you're the leader of such a magnificent people, that is something that's worthy of punishment. And that's perhaps what Hashem is punishing him for as a result of doing the count. So now, that's sort of my uh, my take on Ayin Hara and the census. Um, we could probably do a whole share going through the last uh, two months of these classes, but I won't. I just wanted to conclude with with um, with the Gemara. The Gemara says um, in uh, in Psachim, the Gemara says that um, that basically. When it comes to shadim, right? That that uh, if you are if you are worried about them, that then then you have something to worry about. But if you're not worried about them, then you have nothing to worry about. And so I think in conclusion, when we say that the Jewish people are the Amanivchar, when they are the 
most influential people in the world despite being the smallest when we look at the impact that they have despite being the smallest in terms of people the reason for that is because we're the Bukhar as Hashem told Moshe to tell Paro it's because we're the Amsigula because we are essentially the leaders, the spiritual leaders of the world it's not necessarily the most becoming intellectually and spiritually to be engaged with things that are looked at um, askance and as old-fashioned old wives tales so I think to extrapolate from the Gemara Pesachim about Shadim, Ramesha says it in the Tshuva about Ayin Hara, that if you are the kind of person that's worried about Ayin Hara, then you'll have something to worry about. But if you don't worry about it, then you don't have anything to worry about. And that is, I think, one sort of modern way to deal with this topic of Ayin Hara. Maybe it exists, as we said, the same way that all of the electronic impulses that none of us feel yet power all of our day-to-day interactions and all the day-to-day implements that we use. Could very well be that the eye does emit some sort of a vapor that no one sees and one day they'll find it in science. But as of what we know today, the eye doesn't emit anything. But certainly the approach to the Chazanish and others who suggested that the one who is causing the evil eye could nevertheless be blamed because he's acting in a way that is perhaps unfortunate and incorrect, that still exists. That's still real. And if you recall the Shadal, the famous line that Shadal said that Lefnei Shever Gaon, right before, before the downfall, there is glory, there is success. Because if you don't know how to act with success, if you don't know how to act when one is finding fortune and one is not being careful in terms of displaying it and instead is being overly um, show-offy in a variety of ways to others and causing himself to be the object of jealousy and fascination in a negative way from others. So then those people can end up with a negative impact, even today. Even though we know that the eye, based upon all the science that we have, doesn't emit any vapors, and even all the many of the reasons that were given by Rishonim and others have no basis in terms of modern science. There's still a very real ayin hara that one should be avoiding, and one should be acting in the most appropriate and proper fashion as possible. And so, as a as a sikum adavar, I do think that if one takes these approaches of Ayin Hara, rather than the approaches of many of those we showed him who we quoted before, one can um, utilize that to be the Bechar, B'ni Bechar Yisrael, or to be the Am Segula that we are meant to be. Yashikayach, and have a wonderful Shabbos. Uh, happy to answer any questions. If there are any.